Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever send money internationally? If you do, you know it's expensive, it's time-consuming, and you can get a very lousy exchange rate and not even know it. So the next time you need to make an international money transfer, you should use TransferWise. They give you a great exchange rate, you pay one small upfront fee, you know exactly what you're getting. Setting up a payment is simple and fast. TransferWise is founded by two friends who are Estonian immigrants. They're still Estonian immigrants. But they were sick of being ripped off when they sent their money home. So they came up with a quicker, cheaper, easier way to do it, and you get the benefit. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. There's an app for Android and, of course, for iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise, W-I-S-E.com. Transfer like I'm going to transfer money from one country to another. Wise as in I'm pretty smart. TransferWise.com. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm here at Vox Media New York headquarters with Nick or Nicholas. How do you want to say Nick is fine. I'm here with Nick Kwa. He runs Hot Pot. Hot Pot is the most read newsletter about podcasting. Probably true. It is probably the only newsletter about podcasting. Is there um, more than one? It's, it's more. It's the only one about the podcast industry that I know of, except for Jason Calacanis' Inside Podcasting. I think that's a newsletter as okay. well. No, thanks to yeah. Jason Calacanis, who's probably listening to this, but Nick Kwa is the must read podcasting newsletter. Right. I've been reading you forever. Or at least a year, right? How old is the newsletter? Um, the newsletter is actually a, um, about three years old. Three now. years? Almost okay. to be three years old. I've, um, I've only been reading for a year because I've only been podcasting for a year. That's change. true. That's true. I've been listening since the very beginning. So if you want to learn about podcasting, you read Nick's letter. It's free. There's also a paid version. Mm-hmm. You can also go get it at Neiman Lab. Yep. So there's a good chance that half of you are probably podcast nerds and are already reading Nick's newsletter. The rest of you may just be people who like this podcast. God bless you. Um, what I thought we could do is, is talk a little bit about the podcasting industry, where it's at, where it's going. Nick, mm-hmm. how big is the podcasting business? Compared to every other digital media sort of platform at, uh, out there at the moment, uh, not that big. Um, but the story is that it's growing, and it's growing tremendously, and it's growing at a really fast clip. Um, estimates put 2017's projections around 250 million. Um, I think I believe that's by Bridge Ratings. Uh, but that's before. That's 215 million dollars in revenue in, all at, in this year. All in this year. Um, so supposedly. that's a mid-sized media company. Pretty much. Well, media how company. much does Vox Media make? Probably mm, more than that. I don't know if we've disclosed that. I've read that BuzzFeed is on track to do 350 this year. So it's Absolutely. less than a BuzzFeed. Right. Absolutely less than BuzzFeed. But um, there's up also... From, up from zero a couple years ago. Up from, you know, not zero, just like a little bit. Um, they, it's sort of... It's going really quickly. I believe last year's numbers, I believe, is about 107 million. So it's it's more doubled. Um, and it's expected to keep growing at a faster rate um, moving forward. There's a study being commissioned right now uh, by a bunch of the podcast industry executives. Um, I believe with a PwC that's going to sort of bring us more insight into these numbers. I think that's going to come out later this summer or fall. But so the, just to be clear, these are all general estimates. There's no one sort of officially tracking this stuff. Absolutely. The, the numbers are estimates. Um, there's a range to these. Like it could be a much bigger number, but it would still be a small number. Yeah. So when people talk about a podcast boom, sometimes they talk about a podcast bubble. Mm-hmm. Someone like me scratches my head and says, this is a boom. This is, this is pretty modest, right? Yeah. It's not like there's a ton of money going into podcasting from advertisers. Are people investing tons of money into podcasting? Uh, they're investing, I'm not so sure what you mean by tons, but if you compare it to like 
tech companies or big media companies, certainly not a ton, but there are investments in the space. Um, the more sort of uh, prominent ones are the investments going to Gimlet Media. Um, there's also sort of media companies that are sort of multi-platform that are investing it within their companies to build up podcast divisions. But in terms of stuff like podcast tech or podcast like media innovation and that kind of stuff, um, it's still a pretty slow clip at this has, point. Has anyone tried to sort of size the amount of money going into podcasting? Has anyone put an estimate on that? Uh, they're trying right now. So um, as mentioned, that's a $250 million number that comes from a... Sort that's of that's revenue. Of, that's revenue. That's in, terms of, in terms of investment? Um, no, not no. that I know of. So like, I don't know, to yesterday, this will come out in a couple of weeks, but yesterday I wrote about a company called FUBU TV. Probably mm-hmm. you haven't heard of it. Is that related to the clothing brand? No. Whoa. No, you, they should probably change their name. But they're selling over-the-top video, like Hulu mm-hmm. is, like Google is. They just raised $55 million. Um, there's a story. Because there's the Can Media uh, right. conference going on right as now. we speak. So everyone's making these announcements. Um, CNN has something called Great Big Story, which is just their version to do their own That's internal right. BuzzFeed. They just announced they're putting $40 million into it. Vice just raised $450 million. This is all This is all in a couple days' worth of announcements, right? right? We're at a half a billion. My sense is that when people talk about money going into podcasting, it's in the single digit mm-hmm. millions, if if that. Um, it feels it certainly feels that way. I mean, compared to all those uh, developments that you talked about, um, which sound very, very sort of large, a little frothy, very, very extravagant, um, that's definitely not the case in podcasting at this point in time. Um, and it's largely because the narrative for the industry is very, very young. There's still a relatively low level of trust between the category and advertisers and investors. Um, but it's also worth remembering that the sort of moment that we're in right now, it's about two or three years old. Um, and so it takes a while, I would imagine, for um, more sort of trust to be developed in the space such that they would actually be incentivized to dedicate more money into it. So let's let's back up and talk about the moment, talk about how we got here. Mm-hmm. So if you're a real podcast nerd, you'll know that this is the second or third wave of right. podcasting, right? Originally, this goes back to the iPod, the pre-iPhone mm-hmm. era. That's why it's called podcasting. Yeah. Adam Curry, <laughs> who was a VJ at MTV, was somehow attached to the, the concept of podcasting. So there were you can go back and find Business Week articles right. about podcasting is here. I also found a Wikipedia over. sort of edgy, pretty good primer if you just want to yeah. get a bearing on that. So you can do all um, that history. And, and but it came and went, and nothing. There were a handful of people who were into podcasting. Mm-hmm. And I was one of them, but most people never really heard about it. In the last couple of years, it is now. Well, everyone I know has a podcast. Uh, everyone I work with has a podcast. Right. Or aspires to have a podcast. But beyond sort of this nerd group that I'm in, um, regular people have heard about podcasting. Right. Well, what happened to bring it more mainstream? So there are two um, inflection points or two parts to the initial inflection point about 2014. Uh, some would sort of allocate the the reason, the sort of reason for why we're seeing this moment uh, to when Apple decided to include uh, the podcast app by default with the iOS, and that that happened sort of like early. So you got an iPhone, you got a podcasting app. Right. Whether or not you wanted right. one, so it sort of dramatically reduced the friction between people, you know, hearing about podcasts and trying it out. And so, you know, just what's like, this thing on my phone? It's exactly. a podcast. What happens? If Free I stuff, button? right? Basically, um, and I think that's attractive a lot of people. You, if you just put a television at everybody's homes by default, I'm sure the number of television sort of viewership just goes up, right? Um, the other moment, the other sort of big component is serial. The first season serial, the sort of phenomenon that sort of broke out uh, from this category, um, sort of quirky experiment by the team of This American Life, and it turned out to be just a cultural the phenomenon. The true crime story. Why do right. you think serial hit the way it hit? 
Um, I think you have to sort of baseline uh, general interest that American and Americans in the world seems to have of true crime in general, and you combine it with a very, very you know interesting and well produced experience, and you add to that like the very, very high quality reporting and sort of narration by uh, Sarah Koenig and her team. I think it's a sort of a perfect storm of like a really thoughtful media product within a true crime space that kind of tickles your salacious sort of par- uh, interests in the back of your head, but also kind of validates it within a prism that's like, oh, this is high class, high prestige kind of stuff. And it was happening in real time or mm-hmm. close to real time. So you could follow along with the murder mystery and right. you could weigh in on it. And right. eventually it I sort would of also hasten the, to the add that um, the serial team probably does not like being referred to them as being a true, not, at the first season, be a true crime show. I think they sort of very much see it as a piece of long form reporting. Well, that's fine, but yeah. it's my show, so I can call it a true crime show. And the reality is, right, is there's, like you said, there's always been interest in true crime, and mm-hmm. there's the there's the tawdrier versions of it, it right. watching court TV. Um, right. Or like three-fourths of the HBO documentary portfolio is like true crime, right? Yeah, or, you know, most of the network news shows, right, mm-hmm. are, are true crime stories. Right. So you can not like being called true crime, but people like true crime. Or, or Making of a Murder, uh, um, right. uh, the Netflix show, right, taps into something. But it became this thing that people were telling people about and watch because um, there's no – we can talk about this too. But there's really no avenue to like find out about podcasts mm-hmm. and having someone tell you about it or reading about it. Right. That, that was sort of my feeling it. when the, the first season of Serial was happening. That's sort of why I started Hot Pod. Um, I was working another job at the time. Um, and so you, start, this, you started doing this full-time because of Serial? Um, it wasn't full-time. I started HotPod as a sort of a fun side okay. project I did on weekends. Because um, of Serial, though? Because of Serial. Um, I'd been listening to podcasts for a long time. I'd been a sort of big fan of the medium. Um, and when the sort of it, when the season was hitting its sort of peak, I think it was probably the six or seven episode, um, I, uh, I just noticed a bunch of reporting around podcasts and Serial in specific, and I was just sort of unsatisfied with what I was reading because I just felt like I wasn't really understanding or hearing what I understood about the space. Yeah. So um, I just decided to put together a tiny letter for funsies, um, and it kind of grew from there. Who got your letter initially when you when you're um, this newsletter? I just sent it to a bunch of friends. I was working at Business Insider at the time, and so uh-huh. like it's helpful to have people in that newsroom sort of like be kind of like, oh, whatever. Like one of my colleagues is writing this interesting thing, tweeted it out, um, and it sort of slowly grew over, over week by week. And then uh, then I started noticing like WNYC email addresses in the in the sign up form and. And then it sort of like went from there. Here, I want to get into that a little later. I want to go back to the sort of basics of, of podcasting. So serial, true crime, or reported long-form mm-hmm. journalism, whatever you want to call it, hits. Since then, we've seen a lot of folks, including the folks at Serial, try to replicate that. Mm-hmm. And we don't – podcasting numbers we'll get to in a second. Right. But it's, that seems to have been a one-off, right? Um, in, in terms yeah. of that success – that sort of national phenomenon where people, everyone's talking about it. Again, it's sort of that that stunt of doing it in near real time. Right. Um, the serial team themselves tried to do it with much less success the second time out. Mm-hmm. Is the podcasting boom really the serial boom and sort of it's just about one show? Or do you do you think this thing has legs? And we know it has legs. That's a dumb question. Yeah, because you're, you're making a podcast. Uh, I'm sitting here in a podcast studio. Right. But is a lot of the attention really based on the success of one or two shows and there's sort of a lower level success that mm-hmm. – I don't know. I'm not going to put myself in that group um, – that other people <laughs> are going to enjoy. But it's that was a one-time sort of spike. Uh, so it's – you know, I, I, obviously, like, you can take this uh, for what you will given the source that you're talking to right now. But I honestly don't think it's necessarily the serial boom, right? Uh-huh. Um 
every media category is going to be defined by its sustainability and its sort of year-over-year growth internally and whether it can sort of master the fundamentals of itself and whether it can sort of expand its audiences organically without sort of really, really big swings necessarily. But it is also going to be defined in the public and in the culture uh, by the big hits that, that it produces. So I think at this point in time, um, the big hits associated with, with podcasting is, is serial, but it's also, oddly enough, something like Missing Richard Simmons that came out a couple of months ago and things like, you know, the Bodega Boys, which is kind of breaking out um, through a sort of a multi-platform. Bodega tier. Boys is new to me. What is that? Uh, it's interesting. I haven't heard of it. Uh, so it's uh, it's a podcast um, that features Kid Marrow and uh, uh, and Jesus. It's oh a, yeah, yeah. I, I, they, they have a show on Marrow and Jesus. I didn't realize they were called the Bodega Boys. That they, they have a podcast called Bodega Boys, and it's sort of they've been podcasting as part of the general output, and it's sort of these are the they're on they're a they're vice property. right now. Yeah. yeah, they have their own sort of late night show yeah. going on. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's hits like that. It's hits in, in pockets that we don't quite talk about because, you know, really it depends on what you, what you, where you're looking at when you're asking for like, what is the sort of leading narrative of, of a media category? It's like, where are you hearing the buzz from? Where, where are you hearing sort of uh, consumption from? Um, and I think from where we sit, from where I sit, um, it's mostly been led by the sort of like serial, um, you know, public radio originated, um, high quality, high narrative programming. Right. And well, yeah. I want to talk about that because serial came out of this American life. This mm-hmm. American life. It's not an NPR show. No, it's its own standalone it, company, but it, it has an, it's an NPR audience, mm-hmm. right? Um, it is a blue state slash urban audience. We, we would assume, but obviously with the measurement stuff, you don't, we you don't know, sure. but yep. that's who it is aimed at, right. right? That, and that's that sort of conversation. And yes, you can listen to this in the middle of South Dakota or any other red part of the country, but the assumption is you listen to the advertisers and sort of the cultural references. Mm-hmm. It's aimed at a blue audience and a particular sort of version of that. Do you think that podcasting remains sort of stratified in that demography for a while, or is it, or is it branch out? Um, I think it's probably going to stratify within the market for a bit. Especially why why the, is that? Since this is, I mean, like you said, this is something that's on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's not iPhone specific, obviously. Right. Anyone can listen to it. It's on-demand audio. There's no difference between this and listening to the radio, really, except that you're hitting a button to hear right. it when you want it. Right. So why wouldn't this be widely distributed? I feel like there's a there's an argument uh, both into distribution side, but also in terms of like just the content creation side. Um, I think arguably just based on surveying the Apple podcast charts, which itself is a very limiting representation of what podcasts are out there. Um, the bulk of podcasting that's sort of trending at the highest percentage or trying to the highest level, they tend to skew blue state, left leaning, you know, the sort of like quote unquote educate a high techie yeah. crowd. Um, obviously, like it's very sort of not a good idea to sort of put like all these sort of stereotypes or these sort of generalizations on the medium. Yeah, I'm just like that kind of person that kind of qualifies everything to the death. Yeah. Um, and there is relatively sort of little sort of right leaning red state working class programming that's sort of popping within the medium. And I think. Uh, the nature of what popping means is also something you prosecuted, but it tells us something a little bit about how what the makeup of the medium's audiences are at, the, at this point in time. I mean, there's some logic to it, right? Where if you liked NPR, if you liked This American Life, you're predisposed to like Serial. And if you like right. Serial, you're going to like these other shows that are made for right. you. And so if you're not in that feedback loop, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm using the metaphor correctly, maybe you don't get looped into it. But, you know, there's certain, like, radio, mm-hmm. talk radio leans very heavily to the right. right. There's no reason that you shouldn't see sort of right-leaning radio stuff migrate to podcasting. I think that has been happening, and mm-hmm. Bill O'Reilly says he's going to do a podcast. It seems like it wouldn't take much to make this sort of 
broader in scope. Right. If the thesis is that uh, podcasting offers an on-demand version of radio programming that people can access through their phones whenever they want, yeah. theoretically that would apply to any and all types of programming, right? But right now this is white wine and brie. Basically. Okay. And it should, By the way, I don't really like either of those things. I'm partial to Brie. Um, <laughs> it takes, but it raises it takes, like a really larger, interesting uh, question. I'm, right? I'm not going to judge, but I am judging your Brie. But go on. Uh, uh, interesting enough. Um, I think there's something to be said or something to be talked about uh, with regards to the kinds of people who adopt technologies earlier, right? Um, very like if we want to be very very sort of broad about it, those generalizations they tend people to be people who like pornography is people who adopt technology, right? Isn't that, that is also that the standard. That cliche? is also one avenue. Pornography leads us into the new tech, and it has pushed. I mean, it has pushed its way into many things. Yes, um, I so it, there's a larger conversation here about the kinds of people who who like choose to buy iPhones early on, who choose to check out technology that's a bit foreign, um, to, to to try out um, sort of content mediums that's a little bit hard to understand and internalize, um, and you could make suggestions about the demographics of those kinds of people, I would, I would imagine. All right. Well, let's do some more labeling and stereotyping. But first, let's hear from a fine advertiser. Let's, let's hear this <laughs> for free. We'll be right back with Nick Hua. Today's show is sponsored by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon makes the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks you'll ever wear. I am wearing the socks right now. Nick, can you testify that I'm wearing socks? That's a very nice bright and red. They are a Mac Weldon deep sort of firehouse red. Pretty much. They look awesome. They feel great. They smell great. They're made of naturally antimicrobial fiber. You can wear them to work. You can wear them to play. You can wear them to podcast with Nick like I'm doing. They're easy to buy. Go to MacWeldon.com. You get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. If you don't like them, keep them anyway. MacWeldon will send you your money back. 20% off with the promo code RECODE at MacWeldon.com. Back here with Nick Kwa, who's just shoveling some brie into his mouth. Indeed, Nick, we were talking about a lot of things about the about the podcasting world. You don't really need to do the sort of radio reset, right? Because someone was just listening to this. That's right. They understand. What they we're could doing. always scroll back if they wanted to. We just heard from an advertiser. Our advertisers rock. This is an ad-driven medium. Whatever mm-hmm. revenue we're seeing is coming from advertising. Most of the ads are what we call direct response ads. Mm-hmm. Where we say put in Peter or Recode or Recode Media, so we right. know that you heard us. And that's been that way for a couple of years now, right? Yeah. Why is direct response advertising the main kind of advertising we see in, in podcasting? I think the story here is that um, it's pegged to two things. One is the sort of management issue that we were alluding to about um, earlier on in this conversation, uh, in that podcasting is still, at this point in time, summer 2017, defined by the download. Um, Meaning, and just explain what that means to it people means who, that, are listening, who don't so, know this. Um, if you wanted to understand how successful your your episode is or how many people are listening, right? The the most the closest proxy you have for it is how many people or how many times was your episode downloaded or sort of sent over. That's to the main podcaster. metric that you get if you're a podcast creator. You get it from Apple, right? And maybe from a company that works with Apple, right? There's specific podcast apps that will give you more information. That's right. right. And PR one, Stitcher to some extent, Spotify. But to the some majority extent. of podcast listening happens on the Apple Podcast right. app, and Apple up until this point. Just says this many people have downloaded your show, not That's played right. your show, just downloaded. Just downloaded, um, and that 
is basically a black box that scares away a lot of advertisers that um, really like, sort of are accustomed to a higher degree of measurement in metrics right now, sort of more specificity into whether their ads are being served or people actually hearing the sort of copy that they're writing. On the internet, right, mm -hmm. you can see with, with great specificity, especially through platforms like Facebook, mm -hmm. but also just sort of traditional internet advertising now allows you to really zero in and say, this kind of person, or maybe even this specific person, looked at this thing. We know this person went to Zappos. Mm -hmm. And you can now chase them across the web and That's keep right. showing them that same pair of shoes. And just, just you know, a little creepy and, and you know, a little unsettling, but that is just the state of digital advertising. So great specificity. Um, yeah. uh, everyone who does sort of web publishing has mm -hmm. access to something called Chartbeat, which shows you second to second how many people are, are looking at your article, how long they're reading it for. It's right. usually a super depressing number. Right. Where those people are coming from, how they got to your site. So really, really precise stuff. Right. And podcasting, it's just basically a shrug. Yeah, it's um, somebody... It's very, it's very equivalent of like I sent out a magazine today, right? You don't actually know if um, people looked at page four, which it is may not even go, it may just be in their mailbox. It may just be metaphor, that, right? That's it may right. just be sitting on the coffee table, right? Or like in the you know the back bin somewhere. Um, and that um, is an issue for uh, podcasting if it wants to be classed as a digital product and sort of be sort of accepted within the larger pool of buys. Um, and so for a long time, the only advertisers that that had another way of figuring out whether their podcast ad spends were working were direct response advertisers because they're driven in part by whether they can convert off promo codes. So or you go to MacWeldon.com, put it in the promo code recode. That's right. MacWeldon knows that you got there because you listened yeah. to me telling you You should you get to go a bit there. more money for, for this additional spot. You know, I, I will say what's super cool is they, I, I went and Colin, who we, we referenced earlier, um, at the end of the year, went to their office and he showed me a, a pie chart that showed um, what recode listeners buy. Mm -hmm. And because I talk about socks all the time, you guys buy socks, which is awesome. Then he showed me the general sort of uh, Mac Weldon referral distribution, and they don't buy as many socks. They buy underwear. Most people talk about underwear. Interesting. Yeah. So there is our little proof point that Do you advertising know what, what works color in, in general that Rico listeners tend to? No. I think I would assume it's a many varied. I'm sure they contain Could multitudes. be an interesting data point. Anyway, so that works to some extent. It's, it's crude, right? Mm -hmm. But – it works. Right. But then there's also the follow-up narrative here, which is the DR response marketers, they, they have seen that this works for them. Like, this category has stood out for a great many advertiser in that category. So um, they keep coming back, and that's how the sort of industry has been able to grow steadily year over year, even before this sort of moment in podcasting. So if you're selling socks, if you are selling subscriptions to things, mm -hmm. something where you could type in a code and go buy a thing – Seems like podcast advertising works fairly well for that. The mm -hmm. small market can grow. What you won't do is help you buy a Toyota. Right. Right. Well, we don't know. Right? We don't I, know the that The problem yet. is that theoretically it could, right? But um, you're not going to go to the Toyota dealership and say, hey, Recode Media sent me. Maybe, maybe you would. That depends. But, you know, Less I'd, likely. You would have to communicate more with those right. dealerships. And by the way, this so that's brand advertising. Mm -hmm. And brand advertising is actually still sort of has yet to sort of really make its way to the web. As, as phenomenally successful as Facebook is, right. um, Facebook owns the internet advertising world. And so it, it owns the part that Google doesn't own. Both of those are, are, are very much direct response. Google, you right. literally say, I want to go look at this thing, and then they give you a right. response. And Facebook, most of the advertising you see on there is to actually go buy socks or go buy shoes on right. Zappos. Facebook would like you to – would like Toyota to advertise there. Right. They're not right. advertising at the scale they want. So – I guess the positive version of this for the podcast guys is there's a lot of room to grow. It's working well for Facebook and Google. And then the, the downside is you're not going to get the Toyotas to come in. 
Right. Uh, MGE, there's a handful of people who are experimenting. They're they're testing on a bunch of things. But But because they can't tell that someone listened to this ad, they're less likely to to advertise. That's one way to frame it. The other way to frame it is that Facebook and Google are just winning in sheer scale, right? They're just winning that ability to sort of bring in volume of these interactions and clicks and buys and so on and so forth. There is less of an argument that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Facebook and Google is able to develop some sort of relationship between the listener and, and, and those brands and those DR brands. I think that one of the narratives that the podcast industry can sort of prove at this point or strongly suggest is that we're a little better into sort of developing something like, you know, brand loyalty or like cool, like raising the coolness of a certain brand. We're so cool. Audience. We're super cool. Yeah. Look, at, look at you and me. Exactly. You're awesome. I'm actually wearing if you guys could see us, well. If you guys could see us, you'd say those are two cool dudes wearing <laughs> headphones talking into microphones. That's right. So, and by the way, this lack of data that we're talking about, that we're talking about advertising, mm-hmm. This is a problem for me, the podcast maker. I make episodes that are 30 minutes to 50 minutes long. I don't know how long anyone's listening to these things mm-hmm. for. Maybe they're listening for five minutes. Maybe I should make five-minute podcasts. Right. Maybe they're listening all the way through, and I should make hour-and-a-half-long podcasts. Right. So I have no data. That could be a good or bad thing, depending on who you are, right? I think you had John Gruber on not too long ago, and he talked about how like that's actually – a, a, a sort of more interesting experience for him as a person. It was a year ago, but yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. All right. I must be listening to the back end yeah. pretty, pretty deeply. Uh, but yeah, I think there's, on the one hand, you have an argument of like certain creators being like, I really want to sort of optimize for the metrics when I'm creating stuff. I want to know more. But then there's people who are more, a little bit more sort of jump off a cliff, creatively oriented. Well, I, I for myself. But just to tease this out again, I could, and people who've worked in web publishing, I think, are particularly mm-hmm. sort of attuned to this. If you're used to being graded by how many clicks you have, being paid by how many clicks you have, working for a publisher that's really trying to spend a lot of time trying to optimize the content that they're hundreds of employees are creating. Same thing for video, same thing for TV, for that matter, or radio. You're well aware of sort of what being measured can do to you. It can make you sort of create stuff based for that measurement metric. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bad version of that, right. where you're just sort of... you're just Pumping sort of, up for the numbers. That's you're right. just pumping up the numbers, right? Or the, you've seen this in the... If you watch The Wire. That, that's right. right? <laughs> um, you know how that works. So I get that you don't want to do that, but to not to literally have no idea other than literal sort of word of mouth, like mm-hmm. people come up and say, I like your podcast. That's great. Right. But I don't know anything else beyond that. Right. It seems kind of hard to believe that even the great John Gruber wouldn't want to know how people are actually processing what he makes. Right. I think, you know, you give fire to a person, they would probably want to use it at some point. There's like, no, my life might be a little bit better without fire. And if you look at a larger scale of things, it might not actually lead us to something like, right. you know, firearms. But like, there is a temptation there for sure. Um, but I think the fact of the matter is over the long term, it's coming. And it's like a thing that's good that the entire community has to deal with. Right. So my metaphor is like, we're, we're it's kind of fun to fumble around in the dark. That's right. Um, again, if you've been making web stuff for a long time, you in the very old days when blogging was just something that people did as a hobby, mm-hmm. no one cared about this stuff. Now there's a lot of businesses built on it, so you can't be cavalier about it. Here we're going to get some sort of – and by the way, if you, if you make a play, right. you get to gauge how the audience responds That's to right. it. You get to watch in real time. By the way, you get to see if anyone shows up to your play or not. So the idea that like there's some sort of artistic purity and having zero idea how your stuff is being received, it seems – Kind of silly. Well, I, I mean, it, it depends on, on who you're asking, but um, I personally think it is a little bit silly. Um, I think it's sort of really important to remember that, like, what we're sort of trying to optimize for as a community and an industry, if we're optimizing for, like, 
producers or podcast publishers to get more money and to get paid better to get yeah, extra full time jobs. You know, we want. There's to that, and direction. also by the way, like just you know, look if your argument is I'm creating my art and I mm-hmm. do not care how anyone else receives it, you can do that. And I mean, that's making right. a painting and right. hanging up, but. But that's a pretty small number of people. Most people would like to know whether or not people are responding to their work. That's right. In some way you, it would be nice to get paid or and to be fed by the nature of the things that I produce. Yeah. That would be a pleasure. So this is a big wind-up to saying, to getting the point we, we talked about recently. I've wrote, written about this. Apple has said recently, hey, we're going to give you some data mm-hmm. about how your podcasts are performing. Right. And this was surprising to a lot of people, myself included. Right. Um, because Apple, up to this point, had shown zero interest in providing this data. What do, what do you think changed? Well, just to the preface that there's a huge community and ecosystem of blogs that cover Apple, and it's really hard to sort of determine motivation on that on that gargantuan company. But I think there are a couple of stories here. One is this notion, this idea that Apple, you know, is beginning to see like podcasting as an interesting part of their portfolio within the iTunes ecosystem, or however you want to, yeah. whatever you want to call it now. Um, and you know there is some argumentation that like that there is an interesting pickup and just general interest in other sort of platforms trying to move into that space, and so it behooves them to sort of bring that part. Hey, of the ecosystem this thing up we've had for a decade but haven't really paid attention to. It turns out maybe there's a there there, and right. instead of ignoring it for a couple more years, let's. Let's spend some do time a on little it bit or something before it, Spotify right. comes and takes it from us. Right. I mean, that's one way to sort of try to figure out the motivation here. The other way of looking at it is just looking at, at like half empty, half full, and that this is the half full, half empty version, which is they just wanted to modernize the the podcast uh, sort of section of their larger sort of media yeah. ecosystem. Because I think Van Thompson at Strictly made a, a really good argument about this: how like, even if they tried to step in and monetize the space, um, it would be peanuts compared to the other components yeah. of their business. So there is relatively little incentive to put too much investment in that right now unless yeah, they the, really want to own it. Yeah, and their their podcast team is literally a handful of people. Yep. They could all fit in the room that we're in, I believe. And yeah, my, my the rule of thumb that someone told me years ago, and so maybe it's changed by now, was that Apple doesn't take anything seriously unless it's at least a billion-dollar a year mm-hmm. business. And as we discussed, it's not close to a billion dollars a year, even if Apple had all the revenue. Right. Maybe so, like three years. Maybe. Yeah. And they're not aiming to build billion-dollar businesses, right? They want to build businesses that are billions of dollars That's a right. year. So for them to lean heavily into any of this seems unappley. Yes. On the um, other hand, it probably doesn't take a lot of their effort to sort of provide these basic analytics. Yeah, and I think that's just that's basically what we're seeing. We're not actually seeing a doubling down or a commitment to the space long term. Um, but it is like, yeah, we want to keep you guys creating more in the space because you know it keeps listeners or Apple users more engaged with the yeah. ecosystem, and they can be sort of trickle around in other parts as so well. So what do you? Th- so this this change kicks in in the fall. Sometime. Yes, with the iOS 11 um, update. What do you think happens once Apple starts telling people, hey, turns out this many people actually listen to your podcast. Turns mm-hmm. out most people only listen to the first 10 minutes of your podcast. Right. What, do you think, what do you think happens then? I think so you can cut this into a bunch of layers. I think from just a business perspective, there's going to be a lot of podcasts realizing that they didn't have audiences as big as they did. And there's going to be a smaller percentage of podcasts that realize that they have a very, very sort of engaged audience base. And it was as big, if not slightly less than what they thought it was. So we're really going to see a sort of a shakeout and resizing and sort of reconceptualization of what, like, what, how do you sort of measure for success of a show? And by the way, the, the data is going to be still confined to the podcast owner, right? That's Apple's right. not going to publish this stuff. It's no. not like a Nielsen rating where everyone's going to be able to see this. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be like an API or anything as well. And, and that, so, you know, fundamentally, like, things like market sizing, revenue, in general, we'll still have to go through the traditional routes of trying to figure that out. Um, like someone th- called me up the other day and said, can you, how can you tell – it's a publicist – said, how can you tell how big someone's podcast is? 
where, where can you get that number? Right, you ask them. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You, you ask them, and they'll lie. And by the way, even if even if they're telling the truth, they don't know for the reasons we just discussed. They don't right. know how big their audience actually is. Right. I mean, that's my move all the time. Like, you know, I'm, one of the big things I'm trying to get for is to get get people to cough out more download numbers. And so I know that's probably going to be an overestimation or something of a lie. Um, but you just want to kind of qualify that and kind of like, this yeah. is why, blah, 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 blah. And then you just figure out like maybe 70%, 60% if you feel lucky about that. So there's going to be a little bit of a shakeout or, you know, it turns out that some everyone's numbers go down 30% or mm-hmm. 50%. That's it that happens, yeah. Does that stop the industry? Does it slow it down? Or just everyone sort of bumps along and says, all right, we're resetting and take everyone's podcast numbers and drop them in half? I think there's a general belief that this is good in the long run because it sort of introduces uh, an additional level of accountability and therefore trust with publishers in this space. Um, sort of the, you know, the bad news is that there's going to be a, an entire class of podcasters that will just sort of be phased out of being eligible for advertising. There's just not going to be big enough or interesting why, why is that? Because they're going to realize that their sort of numbers that are reporting is a little lower um, and um, sort of the companies that buy and sell advertising as middlemen like Midroll or, or, or something like that. Would digital sort of, media, which sells ads for this podcast. Or digital media, exactly. Um, but we just discussed at length about how most of the ads are direct response mm-hmm. ads. If Mac Weldon is getting people to buy socks right. through these ads, right. so they wouldn't care whether I have two people listening or four people listening, right? Right, but they, they know sorry, that... 20,000 or 40,000. But they know that sort of or further down in a relationship with a show, right? They right. would have to say, yes, I want to try out the show first. So and it's not going to be on someone's radar. Ex- exactly. Or it might have been in a bundle or might have been considered by a middleman like digital media or uh-huh. mid-roll, but now it's like, yeah, we're, we have better, more accurate numbers yeah. about everybody else, and we're going to sort of probably leave you on the site for now. Um, and that's going to sort of either disincentivize a certain generation or a class of, of, of small, smaller publishers. Um, that could be bad. It could be good, depending on who you're talking to. And I think people who remember the sort of blogging Web 2.0 era is going to have a little bit of like, you know, trauma from this or just yeah. a memory of this. Um, but I think on the whole, that's good because like advertisers need to be provided value. And if a small podcast isn't really providing value or isn't interesting enough for that advertiser, it should that shouldn't be how the business model works for that show. So spending a lot of time talking about advertising, a lot of the media world right now is is newly interested or reinterested in subscriptions, getting consumers to pay for things, mm-hmm. right? It's great business for the cable guys or has been up until now. Some of the traditional web publishers are, are newly interested in this. This is the New York Times has been very successful getting people to pay for digital subscriptions. What about podcasting as something you pay for? Um, what about paying for serial? What about paying for Recode Media? Uh, I would say that like um, non-advertising-based revenue strategies doesn't just mean direct paying supporters membership. There are other forms like live events and merchandising and other ways to sort of extract that value. But with the specific question of can there, will there be a universe or a future in which there are podcasts that people pay for, I think that's definitely going to be the case. The problem is it requires a lot more just focus and like investment on the part of those publishers to sort of build out those relationships. The problem with a lot of these podcasts now is that you know a lot of their consumers and their audiences are accustomed to getting it for free. Mm-hmm. How do you sort of push them down down that funnel, right? And I think that's the question for every other digital media company. But the fact of the matter is, is that you got to try if you don't think the advertising shakeout is going to, if you don't think you're going to survive it. Um, there, if like if you really are in the business of making stuff um, out of love or creative or whatever you make a small podcast, um, you'd you'd find a way. But as it pertains to sort of larger companies, can there be a say Gimlet or an you know Gimlet sized company that's able to you know derive a meaningful membership revenue uh, share? 
Uh, I think that's a much bigger question. Um, I think it's a reasonable amount for someone to pay for an episode of Serial. For an episode of Serial. Or the equivalent kind of show. Pricing is an art. Pricing yeah. is context. So it really depends on where we are at that point it's in time. It's a good dodge. This show is still free, which means it's brought to you by fine advertisers like this one. This show is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? If you're hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to more than 100 job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology matches the right people to your job, and they do it better than anyone else. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. That sounds scary, but it's good. In fact, more than 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Juggle emails, calls to your office, you just screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the best candidates with immediate results. Right now, you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free, zero dollars. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. So you can post jobs for free. I'm back here with Nick Qua, who just compared me to Bill Simmons. That was so sweet, Nick. Thanks. I want to talk about how you you got into this business. We've been talking about business the whole time. I'm talking about the business of podcasting. But you run a newsletter, right, full-time? Yeah. Is that paying your rent? Uh, yeah. Um, I, the newsletter is one of the many things that I do to pay the rent. Okay. But, so it's not – that is – the newsletter is not your full-time job. It's the biggest portion of my of my revenue, and it is my full-time job. But there's a lot of stuff I also take on that falls on the side of it. You're hustling is what you're saying. Yeah. like yeah. Um, I also write for Vulture once in a while. Um, I do a bit of work of Democracy Fund to do some research on like, local podcasts and ecosystem, media ecosystems. Like it's, I do stuff that's interesting to me at this point, um, which so is that, the luxury of having this, uh, this business built out. So you mentioned earlier you started, you started uh, Hot Pod when you had a full-time job at Business Insider. Yeah. What were you doing there? Um, I was on the business in, uh, insider intelligence team. What does that back mean? In the, it's like their paid research arm. You were helping them make paid research. Yeah, I was Got like it. at the very beginning of that. Um, and like is, I, you're like five years old, right? So this is the beginning like of your four, career. You know, I'm 27 at this okay. point in time, and at the time I was like 24, 23, maybe. And um, you thought, on top of this, I want to make this newsletter. It's a free newsletter. Mm-hmm. And at what point did that free newsletter become something that generated enough revenue that you could stop working at Business Insider? Um, well, it just it never actually generated revenue until like a year ago <laughs> right. when I decided to go full time with it. Okay. Um, so I had for the longest time for most of Hotpot's existence, it was a side project. I was working at Business Insider and I wrote Hotpot on the weekends. Then I moved to BuzzFeed and I wrote Hotpot on the weekends. And then I like figured maybe I should try this podcast industry thing out. And I sort of um, held a job at Panoply for a little for a couple of months. You actually went into the industry. Yeah, on the quote unquote audience development um, sort of job title. Um, and up until this day, I think there's still I left with a lot more questions than. Panoply is is one of the big podcast studio slash distributors. Creators of uh, Sleep Local Gap Fest, one more well-known podcasts, and um, it's kind of a sister company to Sleep. Right. And so at some point then you go, a year ago, you go to make Hot Pod. I don't pay for Hot Pod. comes into my inbox for free. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, if there's an ad in there, I haven't seen it. Oh, they're classified. Okay. Uh, so they're, you know, technically it's an ad, but it's where, more where, of a, where, are, where are the ads? I'm they're hiding in the middle. In the middle? Yeah. It's All sort right. of designed in such a way that if you really want it to, like, find another person to, re- like, freelance produce for you or whatever. You That's would, who it's, it's, it's an industry classified. That's I'm right. looking for an engineer. That's right. I, I see it as a service product as, well. as, an ad, as opposed to an ad product, yeah. And how many subscribers? 
Um, the free one is a little over eleven thousand now. You walked the walk. You actually, you you actually gave me a number. Right? Yeah, so you got um, a lot of people to give numbers, and you gave me a number. Good for you. I'm like, I was actually dodge. on the train here. I was like, kind of weighing your arguments for and against disclosing it, but like, I don't have much to lose. <laughs> it's it's literally everyone who's in the in the the podcasting industry is reading you. So there's uh, at least, understandable. Yeah, so there's eleven thousand people. But um, my understanding is that there are a lot more people who read it on Neiman Lab, um, and I don't look at those numbers because I just want to focus on oh, Neiman Lab. Uh, this is the the, the the Harvard blog that uh, the Harvard. I bet it's Media not Vision a lot blog. more people. Well, I I don't I, I maybe you it. it's the black box right like I don't yeah. know yeah and then and then there's a paid version of this as well right yeah um, it's a uh, people pay seven dollars uh, a month uh, or like eighty four a year um, to get additional newsletters it's just a little bit more bloggy um, a little bit more rumor esque um, just more content more a little more yeah um, and I try to initially I sort of structure it in such a way that kind of copying from the public radio model like if you uh-huh. want to support this like pay seven bucks a month or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I just got more interested in like the model that's being tested at Spectacular and Timmerman Report, which are two like one person newsletter, paid newsletter. What was the second one? Uh, the Timmerman Report. He like focuses on biotech mostly. That's why I'm not reading it. Okay. Basically, so Spectacular yeah. is, is Ben Thompson. He was at our Code Media Conference in mm-hmm. February. He has built, he won't give out numbers, but presumably a very big business for, for one person mm-hmm. selling a $10 a month subscription yeah. to his analysis. Is that is that your goal? Um, no. I, I don't think that's my goal at this time. My goal right, is usually just to, it is mostly to keep HotPod self-sustaining you know, and frees me up to do other projects. Um, there's a lot of interesting things I want to try out. And, you know, this HotPod is, uh, well, super fun and definitely my full-time job at this point. Um, I don't quite see it growing to... Like scale. Because the industry is not that big, um, or because you can't charge people ten bucks a month for it, or I I don't I would say no to both those things. I think I I think that's the sort of thesis here that like the podcast industry will go will grow, grow definitely grow, and as it grows, like Hotbot will grow with it, even the paid sections of it. Uh, but it's mostly just because I'm just you know I'm in my late twenties, I'm kind of dicking around, um, I'm doing. I'm just like checking out things that's interesting to me. You're preserving optionality is is the the banking word. Yeah, for? I mean, like right now, I'm like I'm living in New Haven. I kind of want to live in Idaho, Montana for a you're while. You're living in New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, that's a commute. Thanks for that, coming down. Yeah, we're, no, we're, I, we're, I we're in the bottom of Manhattan right here. Yeah, I feel in the thick of the liberal elite. But then again, I live in Connecticut, which is also yeah, liberal, so yeah, yeah you're still in the blue states. That's right. But I, I do really think that's interesting that you can make a living or most of a living. It's a sole proprietor mm-hmm. of a free product. Yeah, um, that, that you type up on your computer and distribute once a week. That's right. That's pretty I, amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I try not to think too much about it. If not, I'll just get like really anxious and scared. Um, but I've sort of been a long sort of student of the Web 2.0 era. That's sort of the dream that came out of that era of like you can be a blogger and it could sort of be a thing that you do for a living. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I'm a little. I wasn't aware or conscious of that moment in, in, in participatory in the technology industry at that point in time. And I just feel like I'm, I'm like reading, like, I don't know, the, the sort of like annual dashes and refileries of like how they sort of figured it out. And it's like, all right, I can probably try to figure my own sort of way here in 2017. It's and cool to it fumble around, right? Uh, it's it's unnerving. Like insurance is definitely something that I worry about. But so maybe uh, maybe we can hook. If you if you're listening to this and you can connect up with it, what kind of insurance do you need? Just something that's basic. I think that's fine. Health I mean, insurance. Yeah, you well, can health help Nick right. uh, with yeah, some yeah. health insurance. Uh, um, watching all these uh, up. ECHA things very very closely. So the way people find out about podcasts is people tell them about podcasts. Right? right. There's a lot of effort spent trying to create better podcast discovery and there's apps that are going to help you discover right. podcasts uniformly negative on all of them since I don't since people are going to do the majority of their listening on podcast app. Mm-hmm. 
do you think I'm right? I mean, do, do you think that any of these alternate discovery methods that we hear people talking about are going to take off? Or so, the sort of like playlist thing, the, sh- the shareable audio thing, and all that kind of stuff. Million versions of it. Um, right. Um, I think at this point in time, the the channels that still work and are the strongest are uh, other people, sort of word of mouth, um, other people's podcasts, which has been proven to you know tremendously drive audiences. And the um, logic there is, if you're listening to a podcast, that means you like a podcast. Exactly. You're, you're, like you're someone a who likes qualified the audience, yeah. right? Um, and the sort of Apple charts and Apple sort of featured page, even though um, there's, I've been hearing some sort of argumentation that like the sort of returns have been decreasing over time, which makes sense. You mean if you mean if you get featured by Apple on there's their a podcast, right? There's a bump, but right. the more podcasts that are created, the more stuff that Apple shows, the less likely that is to have a bigger bump. Makes sense that right. we saw the App Store over time, right? right? If you got featured in the App Store at one point, that's you'd right. Literally become a millionaire, and now much less likely to. Yeah, I, that was I think the previous the sort of argumentation, but um, there are, are there's sort of other sort of efforts that are being made. Uh, there's this push for social audio, which I'm personally kind of skeptical about because it doesn't seem like it's a right fit for the sort of very lean in deep dive. Te- tease that out a little bit. So there, there's an idea that um, if you could just create snippets of a podcast and then tweet it out or run it over Facebook that that ends up sort of broadening the funnel of the number of people who like encounter them and try and check right. it out. In the same audio. way that Facebook right. can drive giant audiences to read stuff, right. to watch videos, even right. if they're, they're being autoplayed. Even if they're 40 seconds or you're not actually watching them, they're just... Right. Facebook and other big platforms, but really Facebook, can mm-hmm. drive these big audiences, can drive people to sample your stuff. Right. I think it's actually one of the fears people talk about when they talk about measurement, to go back to that conversation, is right. people are going to game it for Facebook. I mean, but it seems like, going to happen no matter what, right? But it seems like audio, and this is what you're saying, is audio is kind of impervious to this because you can't, this is my theory, mm-hmm. you can't make someone listen to something. That's right. You're going to kind of have to choose it. Well, radio is like the big sort of situation in which people are sort of made to listen to something. Yeah, but that's because you're in a car that's and someone else is controlling so the radio you're and you You're basically held hostage in a lot of ways, and that's why the ad experiences on broadcast is almost universally bad, right? right. Um, and the whole point of podcasting is it's on it's demand. Listening. You choose right. to listen to it. And digital to some extent is somewhere in between like you having a choice and saying yes and you are not having a choice of, of whatever experience that you're having at a point and um, I think audio I don't really know how it fits into that that sort of ecosystem right so it's diet. frustrating if you're right. a publisher because you can't shove your stuff in front of people and get them to mm-hmm. sample it it's great if you're a listener because you can't have someone right. forcing you to listen to a podcast but you know I, the way I sort of think about this is you know I'm trying to figure out like how does how do new TV shows or how do new Netflix shows sort of market themselves? And there's an entire infrastructure there, an entire sort of playbook and strategy that's just not being being used right now by podcasts, largely because budget reasons. Like, you know, most movies, most of their budget goes into marketing, like a good chunk of it. Um, and, you know, that kind of drives people into a cinema because that's a that's an experience that you choose. And I'm, I believe that some of those tactics can be incorporated in podcasting, but we're just not. Right. You watch Making of a Murder because you heard someone talking about it. Your friend told you you should right. watch it. Maybe you heard Jimmy Fallon to right. had this cast of Stranger Things on Or you on read it. about it in the Times or right. your magazine or something. But you had yeah. to go to the Netflix app and hit play and then right. decide whether you wanted to watch that show. Right. You have to engage in the act of advertising as the advertiser wants to, wants to use podcasts. To so so that was a long windup to me getting to ask you, Nick Kwok, give us your favorite podcast you want us to listen to today, Midsummer. 
late June, early July. It's summer. I think obviously that's a trifecta of phalanx right now that if you're due to podcasts or you haven't heard them, you should definitely listen to them. Yeah, but you're um, an hour into this podcast. So you've, yeah, you've, you've you probably listened, like this. Listened. Quite so a bit. if you're an hour into this podcast, what, sh- what should you listen to next? Um, obviously, if you haven't listened to S-Town, uh, Missing Richard Simmons, and this uh, the sort of latest uh, Gimlet documentary called Mogul, uh, definitely S-Town. try that. Uh, which is from the This American Life right. of Serial People. Richard um, Simmons, and then the last one was? Mogul. Mogul. Which is a, sort of a documentary about Chris Lighty, uh, sort of hip-hop music. It's got, uh, yeah, give me a, a, a out of left field one. Out of left field, um, definitely try out, I think, 74 Seconds, which is uh, the latest uh, podcast by Minnesota Public Radio. Uh, it follows the Philando Castile trial, and it's a really interesting sort of execution on uh, trial reporting in radio and audio formats. It's not 74 Seconds long. It, no. Okay. It, it, you know, 74 Seconds describes the... The, the incident, the incident. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like a, I think a very gorgeously produced um, yeah, piece of I mean it's a gorgeously produced podcast about a very very dark thing um, and it's probably one of the most humane things that I've heard and, it's, and I feel like I'm seeing a little bit of the future of how journalism can be conducted through the podcast form it kind of breaks down after the, the fifth or sixth episode when it does like the day by day trial stuff but um, I've, I've been following that, that case pretty closely on my own terms and so that that has been sort of a really interesting thing to, to think about um I would also go to pitch for something called Who Weekly, which I think might be recommended. H-W-O, weekly, yeah, like um, it's basically a, a compendium to B and C and D list celebrities in America. Um, I really enjoy reading I, People magazine. <laughs> all right, I think that's kind of up my alley. Yeah, you should. I'm just discussing that. whether or not we should do some. Uh, uh, where are they now? About the real world casts of, of yeah. 15 years ago. I also so think like kind of for me. America's celebrity is a really interesting thing. I don't know where you come down whether like Shaquille O'Neal is an A list or a B list celebrity these days, but it's I, definitely B, right? I mean, you'd be Shaq, surprised if you want to come on the air. That's fine. If you're he has a podcast, I know, I'm sure he's a podcast. Everyone has a podcast. That's right. No, everybody everyone who's listening to this has a podcast. Yeah which is why we had you on. Oh, very cool. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for coming. Of course, it was really fun. If you like listening to this podcast, and you did because you're still an hour into this thing, uh, we have a lot more for you. Talk to Dean Bacay, the New York Times executive editor at the Code Conference. You can hear that for free. A long time ago, I talked to Eddie Q. Um, we asked him a good podcast question. You can find that in the archives. Uh, recently, I talked to Rich Greenfield, the media analyst, Ken Lair, the godfather of everything digital and media. Nick, where can people find a podcast? Uh, they can find your podcast on on the Apple Podcast app or Overcast or any where any fine Overcast. We normally we don't normally uh, pimp Overcast, so good. That's a good shout out yeah. there. You guys know that because you're listening to this podcast right now. All we ask is that you tell someone else because, like we said, distribution is the thing in podcasting. That's That'll true. Be helpful. Thank you to our sponsors. We love our sponsors. We bring this to you for free. Mac Weldon, TransferWise. Zip Recruiter. Thanks to Digital Media for selling all those ads. Thanks to my producers, Beth O'Connell and Eric Johnson and Chris Basil, who edits all this stuff together so it sounds good. Thank you, Chris. And thanks again, Nick. Thanks again to you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.